Good morning, Sanctus Church. Today is Good Friday, a day we remember the sacrifice and death of Jesus. And so as we prepare to hear God's word, would you join with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your great love for us in sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, for dying on the cross to forgive us, redeem us, and reconcile us. And so as we prepare to hear your word, open our hearts, prepare us that we may live out your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Some of the most glorious building projects all over the world have been done in stone. When you think about the Great Wall of China, what an extraordinary engineering achievement it is. It's built in stone. The Great Pyramid of Egypt was made of stone. The cathedrals in Europe, like Notre Dame and other places in Europe, were built over a hundred years ago with stone that quarried out and shaped and fit together almost like a jigsaw puzzle and soars to heights of close to 400 feet with glorious stained glass. But none of them compare to the building structure that God is building, the Church of Jesus Christ. And each of you, if you are a child of God, are called into as 1 Peter chapter 2 says, living stones that in some mysterious ways were quarried out from Satan's dark kingdom and have been brought over into the kingdom of the beloved son. And you have been set in place as living stones in the glorious church structure that is rising up. Now let's look in Acts 4 because we read a story of Peter defending himself in an interrogation by the local authorities where he was feeling threatened and we're asking uh, many questions of him and John after healing a man who was unable to walk his entire life. So let's look in Acts chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says, And if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man standing before you is well. And then he adds in verse 11, it says, then this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. Now, if you read the Gospels, you will notice that this phrase is mentioned by Jesus at the conclusion of a story he told about a vineyard with some violent tenants in Matthew 21, Mark 12, and Luke 20. And if you look further back, you'll see Jesus actually quoting from the psalmist in Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23, which says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Now, this statement also appears in Peter's first epistle, which makes it one of the most repeated texts in the Bible. So why is this statement so significant, and what does it mean? Well, the capstone or cornerstone is not simply a decorative stone used to finish a building. It's actually the fundamental stone that structurally holds the entire building or structure together. If you've ever visited Rome or seen the old Roman archway, you will notice that it is built from two columns of carefully carved stones where the two sides arc towards each other at the top and they meet in the center. And there's a triangular shaped stone that sits in the middle and balances the two sides of the arc against each other. This is the capstone. This is how the Romans built their arches. Not like the arches of the Stonehenge or the Arc de Triomphe, where two vertical columns of slab across and they're topped over. The Roman arch arched and met in the middle at a capstone. And if you remove that stone, the whole thing would fall to pieces. 
Now, this is a wonderful image of the Lord Jesus. At one level, he appears to be just another stone in the building, made of the same stuff of the other stones. And yet he is more central to this building than any other stones because he occupies the place in the structure that if he is removed, the entire building collapses. He is like us, yet he is different from us because he is more central to the building. And also, he looks different, an odd stone, which may explain why he would be rejected. The small detail is to, dis- to be discussed is that in some passages, it actually says, instead of capstone, it says cornerstone. So is it capstone or is it cornerstone? Well, no one really knows because in the original languages, both can be used. This is why in the English translations, if you look in your Bibles, the translator will choose either capstone or cornerstone and put the other one in the footnote. In the Greek, the word capstone or cornerstone can be translated both ways. Both are perfectly true when applied to Jesus. Just as the cornerstone was the first stone laid and thus determined the placement of every other stone, the capstone came last and was placed at the top of the ark, thus holding every other stone in perfect alignment. So God made Jesus the cornerstone and the capstone of our salvation. Everything begins and ends with him. And if you miss Jesus, you've missed everything God has for you. The psalmist says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And so a key theme I'd like to explore today on Good Friday is rejection and acceptance. Now, kindly raise your hand if you have ever asked something of someone. Yes, please raise your hand and and look and see. I see that some of you have asked something of others. Now, keep your hands up, lifted, if you've received everything that others that you've asked of others, and I'm sure the hands are now coming down because not everyone has received everything that we've asked for. And that shows that at some point in our lives that we have all faced rejection at some time in our life in one way or another. Our brains respond to rejection very similarly to that of physical pain. Now, there are two types of pain Uh, that light up a a similar region in the brain. And in many instances, social pain, like that which is caused by rejection, is much worse. In addition to biology, there is a spiritual component to rejection. The enemy would like nothing more than to see us respond to the pain in ways that harm us, leading to sin and separation from God. Rejection can leave us emotionally weak, leaving us far more susceptible to lies from the enemy about ourselves and God. Even Jesus experienced rejection. In John 1 verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Now, all of us have experienced rejection in some shape or form. We can't escape it. Whether it's been rejected from a group of friends, a dating relationship, a marriage, a job interview, or from your family, rejection can happen in many different ways, but it always stings and hurts. Now let's look in Isaiah 53, verse 3, for a moment. This is a portrait of Jesus 700 years before what would take place at the cross. In verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief a man of pains and acquainted with sickness, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Now look at Psalm 69. It's a messianic psalm. In Psalm 69, verse 8, it says, 
I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Do you notice it says mother's children, not my father's children? And this is true of the many messianic prophecies. It speaks of the mother of the Messiah, but not about the father. He was rejected by his own people, by his own brothers, his mother's children. But the ultimate rejection of Jesus was by his father. We need to turn to Matthew 27, 45 to 51. And as you read, this is a description of the closing moments of Jesus on the cross. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, from actually 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., darkness covered the land. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, as both Matthew and Mark's gospel record, this heart-wrenching question. In Matthew 27, 45 and 46, and Mark 15, 33 and 34, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is quoted from David's Messianic Psalm 22. You know, unlike the baptism of Jesus and at the Mount of Transfiguration, where the Father's voice resonated from heaven declaring Jesus as the Son, at the cross there was only silence and darkness. Jesus was left with an unanswered question. The fourth saying of Christ on the cross, sandwiched between his two calls to the Father at the beginning to forgive and at the end in which he trusted his spirit. This unique cry was because this is the first time he calls out to God without referring to him as Father. For many of us, we too question God about the circumstances of our lives. Why? Why did this happen? What's next for me? What will my life be like? Why didn't it work out the way I wanted? Why didn't God do something? Why didn't my my loved one die? Why didn't my marriage end in a divorce? Why did I get sick? Why didn't I get that job? Why am I going through a lot of trouble in my family? Now, some of those who stood there said, this man is calling for Elijah. They didn't understand the language, but they thought Eli was the name for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. When Jesus, when he had cried out again with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. And we read how the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That was the ultimate rejection. To be rejected by men was painful, but to be rejected by his father was the ultimate For the first time in the history of the universe, the Son of God prayed and there was no answer from the Father. Why? Because he had been made sin with our sinfulness and God had to deal with him as with sin. Reject him. Refuse to accept him. And so he died, not because of the crucifixion, but of a broken heart. You know, the New Testament tells us nothing of what went on inside of Jesus. But the Old Testament does. Again, back to Psalm 69, verses 20 and 21, it says, Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. We know that that was fulfilled on the cross, these verses. But notice what Jesus died of, a broken heart. Reproach has broken my heart. Normally, crucifixion would not have caused such a quick death. In Mark 15, verse 43, describes the amazement of Pilate that Jesus died so quickly. It says, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, was himself waiting for the kingdom of God coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And it says this, 
Pilate marvel that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked if he could have uh, had been dead for some time. And when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Now, normally speaking, Jesus shouldn't have been dead by that time. Even the two thieves had to be put to death by the soldiers. Jesus did not die of the crucifixion, although that would have ultimately killed him. He died of a broken heart. It's very important to see what broke his heart. Rejection. Rejection by whom? By his father. The ultimate rejection. All this occurred that we might be accepted by God. In Matthew 27, 50 and 51, it says, Jesus, when he cried out with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. What does that signify? That we have the opportunity to be accepted by God. The veil that was between God and us was torn in two. And it was from the top to the bottom so that nobody should ever imagine that actually a person did it. It was done by God. The torn veil is an invitation to every person who believes in Jesus. Come in. You're welcome. My son has endured your rejection so that I may offer you acceptance. And that's what God invites us into today. Such a wonderful promise. Such an enduring hope. Let's turn to Ephesians 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Do you notice who made the choice? It's God's choice. And we are saved because God chose us. And we might change our minds, but God doesn't. There's a great deal of wrong emphasis in modern presentation of the gospel because everything depends on what we do. We have to do this and that and practice this and practice that. And now it is true that we choose, but we would never be able to choose if God hasn't chosen us in the first place. And you and I will find so much security in God when you are not basing your relationship with God on what you do, but on what God has done for you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Feeling assured in God's acceptance will help us face rejection. Do you remember the last time you felt rejected or wounded in your emotions? Was it a person who walked away from your life? Or was it a teacher who said you're not good enough? Was it a boss who terminated you and overlooked you for promotion? Are you being overlooked when you are looking for a life partner? Or maybe it's someone in your life who told you that you are not good enough. We all know rejection hurts and it's very painful and produces many other challenges. So here are some examples of what rejection produces in our life. First, those who experience rejection often struggle and have an inability to receive love. Because when someone who is significant in our lives have rejected us, it makes us feel unworthy. It establishes a root belief that we are unworthy and we are unlovable and therefore we are unable to receive love. Another thing that affects us is our inability to love others. The root of rejection destroys our ability to trust others. And we are reluctant to allow others to get into a close relationship with others. And obviously, we can't get close to another person if we can't consider loving that person. A third thing that causes is insecurity. After we've experienced rejection by someone significant in our lives, we don't know whom we can trust. We always expect betrayal or criticism to be right around the corner. 
A fourth thing that could happen is withdrawal. Because we feel vulnerable in the presence of others, we feel there's safety in isolation. Our natural tendency, therefore, is to withdraw from the mainstream of society. Another symptom is suspicion. Our inability to trust others breeds suspicion of everyone. We never really know when we might be rejected again. And then finally, the fear of failure. We are convinced we are incapable of accomplishing anything and that others can accomplish them. And so our low expectation of ourselves is usually reflected in our willingness to stay in our jobs or relationships that require very little of us. This morning, I'd like to share a little sermon demonstration for you to show the, the effect of rejection, but also the power of acceptance. I have here a, a balloon, and with this balloon, if I would, it can speak of a life of someone without Christ or not in Christ, and if I would take this balloon and put it over this flame, what do you think is going to happen? If you, you're probably right. It's going to possibly burst, and so it, it did. Now, I have another balloon. Let me light the candle. I have another balloon, and this balloon is uh, a balloon that I've written here, In Christ, and where when Christ is in our lives and we are in Christ, we find identity and purpose and community in Him. And so if I took this balloon with Christ in our lives and our lives in Christ, and I put it over this flame, see, we face rejection. It doesn't mean that because we follow Christ, rejection is not going to happen, and you can see this flame over the balloon, and it's not bursting. It's not destroying. It's not destroying our lives because what happens to rejection in our lives if we don't properly find our identity and our acceptance in Christ can destroy our lives. It can, as we saw with the balloon, it can, it can burst. It can, it can affect us very dramatically in our lives. But when we have Christ in us and we are in Christ, then when the balloon is over the flame, when over the heat of rejection, and when we're experiencing an insecurity and withdrawal and sus suspicion and the fear of failure and the inability to love, we can turn ourselves back to Christ and find our identity and our hope in him and find that assurance and acceptance because he was rejected, you and I can be accepted. And so that's the hope of finding our identity in Christ. Now, there are two types of rejection. The first is when we are rejected or feel rejected. The second is when we reject others, particularly rejecting God and faith. Now, there seems to be a surge in the number of people that we see turning away from the Christian faith. According to a study conducted by Pew Research Center, the number of people that identify as Christian is declining at a rapid pace. From articles to social media posts, it seems that many people who have chosen to reject Christianity indicate that church abuse, hypocritical actions by pastors or church leaders, rigidity, and racism within the body of Christ are the most common reasons given for their departure. Maybe what people are rejecting is not, in fact, true Christianity, but rather misrepresentation of the, of the Christianity from people who either are ignorant of what Scripture really says or from people who act as wolves in sheep's clothing, who intentionally harm and prey on Christians, or even the unrealistic expectations we place on leaders to be a certain way that is humanly impossible. Some will leave the church or Christianity because of man-made rules or abuse or hurt by leadership or others because of disappointment with God. 
I've known people who've turned away from their faith because God didn't live up to all the things they've heard he would do for them. They never received the riches, the children they wanted, the marriage partner they were promised if they lived faithfully. Their lives were not free from the suffering that was promised by the prosperity preacher. And because God did not uphold promises that he never made, they concluded that God was a liar. You know, today in our culture, we hear people deconstructing their faith. Pastor John has referred to that, the challenges people have faced with doubt and unbelief and skepticism. While it is good to process our doubts, the worst thing to do when you're deconstructing is to destruct. Just throw it all away. A lot of people in the process of deconstruction end up destructing their faith. One pastor talked about three phases of life, order, disorder, and reorder. We are all raised in a tightly ordered world where our parents teach and guard and guide us. It is then often becomes disordered when we grow up and experience a world, a reality that contradicts the order we knew. And then we realize that we are in disorder and we begin to process of trying to fit things together and reorder it. We all have to do that. And it's a healthy thing. Reordering what we believe is a good thing and must be done. I've done it in my own life. But do it wisely. Do it in community. Do it with wise resources and literature. Do it prayerfully, patiently, and purposefully. Not when experiencing anger or resentment or bitterness with institutions, leaders, or a community. What is often a common thread in people leaving Christianity is the misrepresentation of God by spiritual leaders or the misunderstanding of scriptures. Some leaders have misrepresented God by imposing their convictions as law and making empty promises. Their failure to communicate scripture soundly and live it out faithfully has distorted the image of God and has left the church to grapple with the fallout. God will hold teachers and leaders accountable for leading people astray, as James 3.1 says. But to trade away God because of what the church or leaders or our misrepresentation of God or scriptures has done to us is a bad trade. Who loses? Does God lose? No, we lose. The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis once wrote, there are three images in my mind which I must continually forsake and replace by better ones. The, Im the false image of God, the false image of my neighbors, and the false image of myself. In his book, When God Interrupts, Pastor Craig Barnes poignantly describes the emergence of a new perspective as the very process of conversion. He writes, the deep fear behind every loss is that we have been abandoned by the God who should have saved us. The transforming moment in Christian conversion comes when we realize that even God has left us. We then discover it was not God, but our image of God that abandoned us. And only then is change possible. We may all go through feelings and fears that that we have been abandoned by a God who should have saved us and delivered us and healed us and provided for us. We may feel angry with God because we, and we may try to appease him. But the transforming moment or the conversion for our lives come when we have the understanding that it was not God who abandoned us, but our image of God. The image of God is our expectations, our portrayal of God, of what we want the Lord to give us or do for us. And we must abandon this image in order for us to experience real change in our Christian life. If not, we'll live in continual disappointment and have a grudge against God, which may result in us rejecting Him. 
on this Good Friday, whether you're feeling rejected by someone or feeling rejected by God or you have or want to reject the faith, I want you to know the remedy to rejection is acceptance. Most of the relationship problems in the world which trigger other bigger problems boil down to acceptance and rejection. Many people in the world still reject the Son of God and His saving grace. They disbelieve Him, mock Him, despise Him, use His name in vain. Yes, like Jesus, we know that what it is to be rejected. And we sometimes reject others too. Human acceptance will not heal the damaged emotions after rejection has affected us. Of course, it does help. But often, it may be the only thing available to help. However, the experience of being accepted in Jesus Christ is the only true cure for the effects of rejection in our lives. Now, acceptance comes from knowing first our true identity, second, joining a community, and third, finding our purpose or calling through community. Actually, most people struggle with three basic issues in life. First is identity. Who am I? Second is importance. Do I matter? And the third is impact. What is my purpose in life? It's unfortunate that so many people go through life having no idea that why they are here or what God has purposed for them. It seems that all people live out of their lives in one of the three following ways. First is survival. Some people live to survive. These are people who just try to exist. They have no purpose or no focus. They just seek to live from one day to the next. Their lives are primarily filled with deadlines and commitments, problems and priorities, distractions and obstacles. There is no overarching purpose or motivation in life. The second is success. These are people who like to collect and possess more and more. They're people who are happy with life and feeling good about the things happening to them. They accumulate a certain level of wealth and possessions, fame and success. The third is significance. This is the level where we all should be living. For it is not mere existence or survival or even success, but impact. Significance lets you know that your life matters and that it counts for something. And when you discover significance, you will have discovered your true identity as God's child and God's plan for your life. Significance is not about making yourself famous or popular, but about impacting others. This is where you make an impact through your life to those in your world. We find the greatest purpose and fulfillment in life in what we do for others. There is actually, I read a, a Chinese proverb that says this, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. We have been created us. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he's planned for us long ago. Therefore, you are created for a purpose. You are created with a purpose and you are created for God's purpose. Colossians 1:16 says, all things have been created by God and all things find their purpose in God. God's purpose for your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It will last longer than your family, your ministry, or even your dreams and ambitions. And to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You and I were born by His purpose and for His purpose. For thousands of years, people have been in the pursuit for meaning, identity, and the purpose of life. And the reason for this is because we typically begin at the wrong starting point ourselves.
we ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams for my future? Focusing on yourself will never reveal your life's purposes. Focusing primarily on your needs and wants and desires is not helpful because our lives need to be oriented around God, not ourselves. The psalmist says in Psalm 57 verse 2, I cried out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. So it's not really about your purpose, but God's purpose. Your purpose is found embedded into God's purpose for creation. God is not just the starting point of our lives. He is the source of it and the goal. He's the cornerstone and the capstone. And to discover your purpose in life, you must turn to God's word. Ephesians 1, 11 to 12 says, It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for a glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. This verse gives us three insights to your purpose. First, you discover your identity and purpose through your relationship with Jesus. Second, God was thinking of you long before you ever thought about him. You may choose your career, your spouse, your hobbies, and many other parts of your life, but you don't get to choose your purpose. Third, the purpose of your life fits into a much larger cosmic purpose that God has designed for eternity. Jesus as the cornerstone and capstone was rejected because the builders didn't recognize the identity of the stone, the importance of the stone, the impact of the stone would have. It was left alone and forgotten. It seemed like the stone had no purpose, but God took that stone that the builders rejected and made it the cornerstone, the capstone. What is rejected by people or the world, God accepts and gives purpose and significance. When we put our faith in Christ, God looks at us just as he looks at his own dear son, righteous, acceptable, perfect, beloved children. So in spite of our sin, you and I wear the righteous robes of Jesus. What a great paradox. We, the unacceptable, are accepted by God forever and ever. Nothing in all of creation, neither our sin nor death itself can separate us from God's love. Through faith in Christ, we are born again into new life, eternal life. Jesus was rejected and forsaken for a time so that we will never be rejected or forsaken. Jesus' rejection means our acceptance. When I was born, I had a small uh, birthmark on my lip called a hemangioma. The doctor said it would go away after some time. However, it continued to grow and I also, being self-conscious of it, would constantly bite my lower lip. And constantly biting it also made it to enlarge to a very prominent, notable size, to the size almost of the great. And so from my childhood to my teenage years and into my 20s and early 30s, I had to live with a lot of insecurity because of my birthmark. In my childhood, some kids would make fun of me and make me all the more insecure, which created feelings of rejection. Now, I was fortunate to have some surgery in my 30s to try to uh, get some of it fixed, which helped. But looking back at my life, my birthmark was actually the single most impactful source of character formation. The years of humiliation and insecurity and negative words said formed empathy and a willingness to forgive others and an attitude of humility. From a young age, I had to learn to respond maturely when confronted with ne negativity. 
through all my social interactions, I also formed a lot of compassion for those who have physical ailments and deformities and for those who have insecurity about their body image and physical appearance. If you've experienced rejection and humiliation and name-calling and bullying because of how you look, I have a lot of empathy for you. Those scars are painful and can alter the direction of your life. And if you respond to rejection with bitterness and anger, it can derail your purpose and what God wants to do. The builders rejected the cornerstone and the capstone because it was an unusual stone. It wasn't pretty or beautiful. It didn't seem like the ideal stone. They wanted something perfect, and the stone was rejected. Look what Isaiah 53 verse 2 says about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. As the cornerstone and capstone, Jesus experienced rejection. And so if you're feeling rejected and isolated, feeling forgotten, God the Father is here to accept you. On the cross, after experiencing various forms of rejection by the people he loved and served, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. In response to rejection, Jesus extended forgiveness. Will you forgive those who have hurt you and rejected you today? God, through Jesus, has brought us into his family and given us an identity, community, and a purpose. So I'm thankful for this. There is a deep beauty to the acceptance of God that he has given us in Christ. He didn't assess our skill or our merit to receive his love and acceptance. No, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while our souls were yet ugly and deformed with sin, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for me. And God drew us into his family and seated us at his table as his beloved children. That is beautiful. Let that sink deep in your heart this morning, into your mind, that you and I are accepted into his beloved. God doesn't reject you. He doesn't just tolerate you, but with all of his heart, he accepts you. And so through the resurrection, the stone that was rejected becomes the cornerstone and capstone. But before it does, it becomes the tombstone. The stone buried the body of Jesus, the stone that was right there at the burial of Jesus. And so we leave today realizing that Jesus was rejected, forgotten, humiliated, and abandoned, laying behind the tombstone, waiting for resurrection Sunday morning, when bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, standing in victory. And with the psalmist we say today, the Lord has done this. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Will you join with me in saying this prayer? There's a a prayer that's available on the screen. Would you recite, if you feel comfortable, this prayer together in faith and hope and trust on this Good Friday? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for accepting us into your family and your kingdom. Help us to live confidently with the assurance of the identity you've given us and the purpose you've called us with. Forgive us when we are tempted to reject you and despise you in the church, your bride. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and experiencing rejection that we might be accepted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.